Hello, I'm Brian. I'm Caroline. I'm Claire. And this is the Computer Weekly. Downtime Upload. Podcast. Very warm welcome back to the podcast. And also very warm welcome if you are a first time listener. And again, we might have a we might have a few of them. Because since we did our last podcast about a month ago, our colleague Cliff Saren has done three more podcasts. Tell me what you were telling me before Caroline joined the call, Brian. Oh, oh, I really like uh, Cliff's podcasts, and they're going really well. Um, the most recent one he did with the uh, the CTO of Wipro, a lady called uh, Suva Tatavarti. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, she's got a, a former, um, well, she's got a PayPal background, basically, and um, mm-hmm. she's also a trail runner. Just That's like exciting. Just like Cliff. Uh, well, we can see how, how they made friends then. Yeah. yeah. So they had a T- bit of a chit-chat about that. Tell her the other thing, Brian. Oh, God. Oh, what is the, this? Other, the other thing I have completely <laughs> forgotten. That that Cliff's introduction was slightly terrifying to you. It is terrifying. It is terrifying. I don't know. There's something about the way he introduces his podcast. That's um, it may just be because Halloween's coming up. You got spooky on the mind. But yeah, yeah, I got a bit frightened. Listen to it now. Not not. I just I just haven't got around to listening to Cliff's podcasts. Um, I'm sure they're very good, but uh, but I have to listen now. I'm intrigued. I need to find out what's going on. Well, this is indeed very good. Yeah, you know that I like to listen to spooky podcasts and content. So if it really is that scary, if he's really that commanding, then maybe he can be next on my list. I wouldn't say it rivals the BBC's Uncanny. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that is good. And it's getting better, don't you think? I haven't stronger. listened. Haven't listened for a while. Mm. Um, but the same could be said about um, the last one that they did about, um, oh, the haunting one. It was yeah. good. Yeah, it is. It is a. It's a good series. That. Um, yeah. I should probably say that the 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 podcast that I mentioned there is about the metaverse. Um. The business metaverse, and in fact, Cliff um, Cliff came on one of our podcasts to talk about the metaverse. I just remembered. I think that was one you were missing from Caroline, but probably for the best. The less I know about the metaverse, the happier I think I am. So yeah, <laughs> Claire and I tried to find out what the metaverse was from Cliff. I don't know if we succeeded entirely. There was a lot of skirting around the issue. Mm, indeed. But we are, um, so we're recording this on Tuesday the 25th of October. And by the time this airs, um, we'll be very close indeed to Halloween. Uh, the time of uh, ghosts and ghouls and demons and and so on. It's a bit of a tradition on this podcast, has been for the last few years, that we pause to remark upon this time of year when the membrane between the the world of the living and the dead is at its most porous. Um, and of course, Claire, it's your favourite time of the year. It is. It really annoys me when you see Christmas stuff this time mm. of year. I'm like, what happened to Halloween? Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 Just skirt over it. 
<laughs> yeah, you do. I was in Marks and Sparks the other day and there was a lot of Halloween stuff, but there was also little Christmas things kind of poking through. Uh, most inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot it, more Halloween decorations, like people decorating the outside of their homes, which um, walking the streets with a very nervous dog has uh, not been the most fun. As, uh, we have the, the, it's the guy, the one that there's loads of them. It's the is it Jack O'Lantern? Is that the name of the guy from the Nightmare Before Christmas? So a bit mm. of a crossover between mm. why is Christmas stuff out during Halloween? Yeah, he has uh, a crossover. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, but there's name they're is like Jack Skellington. Like, oh well, yeah, I'm, not, I'm I'm not on brand, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're like they're like a human size mannequin that hangs down from people's front doors. So um, yeah, my dog is scared of people. So you imagine walking on the street and every so often outside a house, there's just one of these like ghostly figures hanging down. Yeah, it's not been <laughs> the best time. But um, when I saw one of my neighbours has got um, has put up fake gravestones with like um, people coming out the ground as well, which again, he's not loving, but I thought it was quite, quite uh, morbidly festive. My yeah, goodness. I like that. I like that. There's a house near us that has scaffolding up at the minute and they've used that as an opportunity to you know, um, hang things, it's good. Mm. Of course, this will be Bruno's first Halloween. It will, it will. We're just going to batten down the hatches and uh, ignore any of the kids on the estate. I think I'm going to preempt it by putting sweets out um, on our like front doorstep, uh, a little hidden from view, so no like, just passers-by can steal them. I'm going to put a little note through the neighbours' doors, the ones with kids, and just say, help yourself, but don't knock. Um because there's a ferocious hellhound worse than anything that Halloween has to offer behind this front door. So just leave <laughs> us alone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a, a lot recently, as we said before we started on here. Had fireworks, had thunderstorms. So I think, you know, a, a suddenly a load of kids playing knockdown ginger on my house just isn't isn't the one for Bruno. So no. Yeah, he needs to chill. He, mm-hmm. he deserves that. Yeah, he does. Guy, guy Fawkes will be coming up as well. So yeah. Uh, mm. Mm. Difficult, difficult. Uh, are you going to be doing any pumpkins this year, Caroline? I think it was the last year or the year before you did some amazing pumpkin heads. Yeah, we did. Uh, I did with my nieces and nephews. We might do, actually, although they were all a bit traumatised last time because they left them out on their um, the ta- the table on the patio in their garden. And that basically, oh, squirrel, yeah. squirrel just came along and just systematically ate its way through all of them. Like big fat squirrel, just, oh wow, I love all these pumpkins. And like, oh my God. <laughs> but it's literally, we did it on a Saturday night. I'd stayed over, came down on Sunday morning. I was like, kids, I'm really sorry, but oh, look what's happened. <laughs> They've all been destroyed. So, um, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, we're up squirrel proof this year, if we do it again. But no, it was good fun. And it's surprisingly easy because I'm not particularly artistic. Um, to actually make them look quite good. I think actually the more jagged and like sort of they look, the spookier they are. So yeah, I think our American colleagues are big into this. They have competitions, um, being a kind of New England company and all that. Um, yeah, Claire, you're just going to be scaring trick or treaters as they come round <laughs> once again. <laughs> yep, that's our tradition: <clears throat> terrifying the children of the neighbourhood. Yeah. What they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably mark it with a, 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 a gentle read of a book, perhaps. Um, so, well, since could... I've read Turn of the Screw, for example. Oh yeah. Well, that. you should watch. You should watch some of the shows I recommended. 
Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff on, isn't there? You know, the Omen was on last night on BBC. I've recorded that. I'm not sure if it's the the 1976 one or the fairly awful 2006 one. But yeah, I uh, fell asleep watching that, not actually seeing it all the way through. It's probably not that terrifying these days. Um, it may have been replaced by the Mike Flanagan stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I that? like that. Yeah, yeah the mid- Midnight Mass. I quite enjoyed that one. That's yeah. good. The Midnight Club is the most recent one, which we yeah. just finished watching. That's good. Oh. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Well, that gives me a new thing to do. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, well, look, we should probably, speaking of the boundary between, you know, the land of the living and the dead, we should probably cross over into the... Welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, so mapping out our journey, just so listeners know where we're going. Claire, you're going to be talking about the big event. Yes, I am. Computer Weekly's annual diversity and tech event in partnership with Nash Squared. Which happened last week. It did. I'm still recovering. Cool. Okay, we'll look forward to finding out all about that. So don't say who's won at the moment. We'll go into that in a, in a bit. Um, and Caroline, there's there's an aspect of um, Liz Truss's premiership <laughs> that you're going to talk about. Yes, talking of scary stories. Yeah, the uh, it's the off the on again of the R35 reforms. Just been it's it's just been a what it's. I actually looked it up, and it's like yeah, this all happened within a month. So yeah, there's been lots all happening within a month, and then boop, it's all over again. So yeah, it's been a real roller coaster. It's been crazy, and since we since we recorded our last podcast, I've been to America twice. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, so Dreamforce uh, in September, about the same time as the Queen's funeral, you mm-hmm. both might recall. And um, and last week, Oracle Cloud World in Las Vegas, which I think I've now recovered from the jet lag from that. And also, thankfully, this time I've not come back with a virus, which I did from Dreamforce. Which is one of the uh, hazards of conference attendance um, that we'll probably talk about a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But let's get on to our own event, uh, Claire. Let's begin with you, the most influential women in UK tech. Absolutely. So the theme of this year's event was inclusion equals everyone. We ran the event a little differently. So what we did was we had um, a few keynote speakers. Um, some really cool keynote speakers, actually, um, who talked about um, their interpretation of the topic of inclusion equals everyone. And then we had everyone on roundtables where we had um, some of our, you know, like trusted contacts um, acting as table leaders who would like lead the table in a discussion about inclusion equals everyone and come up with some points of how they think we can best make the tech industry a more inclusive place for everyone and how we can get everyone involved in that as well. Um, And that went really well. And then there was like a feedback session where everyone gave, you know, like some of their most important points for the tables. And then I, in true Claire fashion, have made tons of work for myself because I'm going to write it up. Um, So I'm going to write up all of those points into kind of like a white paper, which we're then going to put on the website. About oh, you know like some yeah. of the some of the points that came out of the day, um, yeah. So it went really well. Um, in 
uh, again, true Claire fashion, I crashed out for about three days afterwards. Mm. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm starting to feel recovered now. Well, very, very understandable. Mm-hmm. Very understandable. Was it exciting? Yeah, I, I yeah. love doing it. It's a bit, it's a bit strange um, as a as an introvert to enjoy public speaking, but it's something that I really care about, and it's something that I know that everybody in the room cares about as well. So mm. you kind of feed off of each other's energy. Yeah, and then in the evening, Brian announced the top fifty women in UK tech, including our winner. Flavilla Von Gang, who um, I interviewed a couple of weeks before the event. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, you should definitely read the interview because it's, you know, like it's interesting and it's different. Um, so we actually spent quite a bit of time talking about um, about colours um, and how colours represent different things. And she gave me advice on what colours I should wear. Um, yeah, it was really interesting um, and, and a bit different. And then, yeah, so she... Um, she was telling me about that and she was telling me about how she broke into the tech industry, set up the um, Global Tech Advocates Black Women in Tech group um, after attending some of the meetings and then just sort of said, you know, like there aren't enough women and there aren't enough black women in these meetings. So like, let me sort that. <laughs> she's she's definitely a force to be reckoned with. She's she's incredible. So like, yeah, definitely um, go and go and read that interview. It's really good. It's a really good. It's a really good piece. Um, she said, "What she's got a quote about you don't want to be keeping all your treasure to yourself," which I thought yeah. was a very good quote. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And if anybody read the um, issue of Computer Weekly where we announced all of the top fifty women in UK tech stuff, including you know like the Hall of Fame, the Rising Stars, the top fifty, the winner. Yeah. Um, I wrote the leader to that. Um, you know, like the introduction from the editor I guess is the best way to describe it um not that I'm the editor of chief of computer weekly but I was given the reins for a month um for a week a month, <laughs> for a month. <laughs> step aside um no I was I was given the opportunity for for this week to write to write the leader um and I mentioned that you know I mentioned how she said that no one succeeds on their own um and yeah how, you know, like we kind of need to call to action everybody in the tech industry to to shift everything forward because there's only so much that the the women in tech can do on their own. You know. Yeah, and your your leader talked about um, yeah, kind of the higher ups and white men have to do more. Yeah, definitely. Why yeah. aren't they doing it? Why aren't you doing it, Brian? Although sometimes I wish they would do less, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> do more, talk less. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small point, but you know that the, the um, inclusion equals everyone. Uh, what would you call it? Slogan. I really like the little equals sign. I think that oh, yeah. makes it very powerful. It really also, stands out. Um, also, a nod to the tech you know, like the tech side of yeah. it, if you're thinking of coding. Exactly, exactly. I thought it was very, very, very smart. Um, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, cool. That's a great, it's a great, it's a great interview. Uh, uh, Caroline, you, I know you saw a little bit of the event. Yes, I did. Yeah. And also, as we were saying, it's kind of, um, with it being so inclusion focused, it was great that it was so accessible because you could watch it through a live stream via LinkedIn and 
Um, it was actually quite good because you were sat in there. Like if you had LinkedIn open, as I often do, because I'm always keen to know what my network's up to, you got a little notification saying this event is about to go live now, like countdowns, this event going live now. So it was really good, like you wouldn't have missed it. Um, but it was very slickly done, actually, that side of it. You know, if you can't, can't get to an event and obviously there's lots of reasons these these days while uh while people while virtual events remain important for people um and things like mm-hmm. that so no it was, it was really nice being able to just tune in for little bits and pieces here and there so no nice, yeah. a nice touch i think and very in keeping with the theme we went hybrid yes yeah exactly yes and uh, the, the the issue of um the magazine that you referred to there claire that's I think that's published today. Uh, officially, day of recording. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. It comes out today. Yeah, so so readers can go and see the list of the the top fifty, the top the top twenty five. You've got there are biogs. That's, you wrote a lot of stuff. You took over the entire issue, apart from one <laughs> or two little bits. Yeah, Brian always says it's his favourite issue of the year. Oh really? Yeah. So Definitely. there you go. Thanks. Yeah. Rising stars as well, with mm-hmm. with the mention, for sure. I was really pleased to see the two of them were um, active in Scotland. Yeah, um, Silke Patel and Tony Scullion. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on up in uh, in my homeland from a tech point of view. We should definitely have an office up there. It seems to me. <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> Why don't you go go set one up? Scottish division. Well, I think that's maybe something to to raise internally, but I think there's clearly a lot going on. To be serious about it. Um, well, well, if I have you know like the the reins for the month, as I misquoted the earlier, month, then like yeah. I'm saying, go do it, Brian. <laughs> I task you with this. Oh my god, I, I quite like this. It's like the computer weekly version of the purge with um like. <laughs> Claire in charge, anything goes. Nothing yeah, Claire's in charge of the month. Go do it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, um, there's an aspect of the, uh, the Liz Truss fiasco that we've just lived through mm-hmm. in the UK. And she was resigning just as I was landing back at Heathrow um, the, the day after the, the event we've just been talking about. Uh, but there's an aspect of it which has not been that well covered in the national press. But we do have an authority on this matter on our team. Caroline, tell us about the uh, strange business of IR35. Oh, it's a very strange business. Basically, Liz Truss's very short-lived time as Prime Minister has been a real roller coaster of emotions for the IT contractors that make up the Computer Weekly readership. So, yeah, so when she was on the campaign trail, she sort of, she promised to conduct a review of the R35 uh, rules and legislation. Um, and it was it was always a bit woolly. You didn't really know if she meant the whole legislation, which is 20 years old, or the reforms, which are like a, some amendments that came in um, sort of in 2017 and 2021 in the uh, public sector and private sector, respectively. But either way, that got the kind of contractor sector quite excited. Like, oh, my God, she's promised to do a review. Um, it's sort of IR35 as a topic isn't really something a lot of people, you know, who are intent on being prime minister or on a campaign, political campaign trail. It's, it's not a hot button topic, really, when you've got things like energy crisis and things like that playing out. So it was a bit like, oh, my God, she said that. 
as I mentioned, the rules were subject to reform in uh, 2017 and 2021. And those changes were quite controversial. Not We've talked about them loads of times before on uh, the podcast, but basically the changes saw contractors have to cede control for deciding whether the work they do means it should be taxed in the same way as permanent employees or as off payroll workers to the organisations that hire them. And for a lot of businesses, that shift in responsibility was just an extra bit of paperwork that they could do without. So they just basically took the decision to ban the use of contractors or they declared that all of the contractors are um, sort of should be taxed as permanent employees uh, to cover their own backs from a compliance perspective. Um, either way, it, it was a lose-lose situation for contractors. Either organisations wouldn't hire you anymore or you were going to be taxed a lot more than you previously were. So that's sort of the long and the short of it. So the prospect of the R35 rules being placed under review was welcomed, but it was kind of there's quite a lot of scepticism among contractors about whether this review would happen or if it would make a difference because there's been so many different reviews of the R35 rules and how they work and, also, and nothing's really changed as a result. So it was kind of, like, oh, it's great if it happens, but if not, never mind. So basically, I can't believe this was only a month ago, like just over a month ago now. But anyway, yeah, so nearly exactly a month ago. Uh, the ex-Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, announced in his first and only fiscal statement that the R35 reforms were going to be uh, repealed in April 2023. And that announcement just took the whole contracting community by surprise. It happened on like a, I think it was Friday the 23rd. And I was just like, oh, there might be an announcement in this fiscal statement about something to do with R35. And then suddenly it was just like, oh my God, they're scrapping it. Like They're scrapping the reforms. So all my contacts who are usually like, as soon as something is announced about IR35, they've usually got some kind of inside line that their comments are in my inbox straight away. I was having to email them saying, um, have you seen this? And they're all just like, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't know anything about this. We don't know what to do. Um, hold on, we'll get you a statement. We'll get you a comment. But what the hell? And you're just like, OK, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. So, um, so yeah, so they were all caught completely flat-footed by it. Um, at best, really, from that statement, people were just hoping for some clarity on what sort of the shape the review would take. And then, yeah, I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams expected there would be a full repeal announced, basically. But then as quickly and as suddenly as the repeal appeared, uh, it was scrapped along with pretty much everything else in the uh, Chancellor's fiscal statement after its contents pretty much caused widespread economic turmoil and the value of the pound to plummet. So somehow... In amongst all of that, I managed to get out, I think, a 3,000 word article looking at what you the repeal <laughs> what the repeal of the reforms would mean yeah. to the contractor community, mm-hmm. which I guess for um, for fans of historical fiction might be worth a read. But for everyone else, it's completely outdated now. But it took me ages <laughs> to do. And then it was fine. It, it, it lasted long enough that we it got some good traffic. But yeah, that, that was quite infuriating. Not that I think the government cares about how it inconveniences me, but still. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not even just about how it inconveniences you and your analysis, but also the hope. Yes. You know, like pe- it Dashed. must have given people hope and then like it's backtracked. There mm. should be some kind of, uh, I don't know, at least an apology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. For the psychological if, impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think for like the individuals, contractors, yeah, that is true. But I think for a lot of businesses, they're just re- like, relieved that they don't have to do anything different it's just like okay we spent a lot of money mm. preparing for the reforms and making sure we do for the people who've done it properly who haven't just you know banned contractors and haven't just said oh right you're all 
you're all affected by it. You know, you're all going to be treated as employees. Um, for businesses who are doing it properly, it's just like, oh, for God's sake, we spent all this money on it, all this time trying to get heads <laughs> around it, and now it's been scrapped. So I think for some people, it's like not the worst news in the world. Like I say, this whole thing of, oh, there might be a review of IR35, that was very much Liz Truss's thing. Um, Rishi Sunak, our new prime minister, he actually oversaw the IR35 reforms coming in in 2021 in the private sector, and he was very much in favour of them. So there's not yes. going to be, there's going to be no hope of any re- like review or anything. Now, that's me speaking personally. I just can't see it happening. He was just very... There was, there was, I can't remember exactly. I know I wrote a story on it, but even when... Um, he was announcing all the coronavirus sort of financial packages and stuff. There was lots of references made in that that people will have to pay like the right and proper tax, and it was all it was seen as a bit of a veiled kind of reference to IR thirty five as well. Like he's just very pro the whole legislation and contractors paying what they paying their way correctly and everything. So yeah, so I think it's just like now he's in charge. It's just all that speculation, all that hope, as Claire said, is gone. So um, so yeah, in summary. Yeah. reports on all this stuff it's been a very busy couple of weeks but absolutely no reason now so yeah it's fun though while it lasted they were trying not to get too excited though weren't they caroline to begin with it seemed like there was a lot of this is not going to happen there's a lot of disbelief about the the original kind of um uh you know scrapping of the reforms yeah i think actually it's like um it's like a graph. It was like there was a massive peak as soon as it was announced. Everyone peak excitement, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" And then, honestly, within about twenty-four hours, sort of more cautious minds prevailed. Of people just saying, "Hold on a minute." They've announced it will be repealed in April twenty twenty-three. It actually takes a long time. You need new legislation to be pushed through Parliament and all this kind of stuff. And there's no guarantee that that could all get done by April twenty twenty-three anyway. So there's a few people like, "Yeah, if the repeal happens, that'd be great." But you know, it's you know, there's still so much basically paperwork and admin that needs to be done to push that through. So, yeah, that kind of, I said, we had the peak on Friday the 23rd and then 24 to 48 hours, you know, the, what's it, Garton call it, the trough of, like, not disillusionment. Yeah, but something like that. So that happened. And then then it's people like, oh, actually, if this does happen, this would be really great for X, Y, and Z. And then it was just like dashed dreams Mm -hmm. over. Liz Trust is gone. No review. Um, Rishi Sunak very pro IR35 guys in it's all over like everyone just get back to what you were doing before I suppose I was just thinking yeah I suppose what they did or what Quasi Quarting did um, will now be seen as quite toxic if you were to try to do it again because it's Mm. been you know such a kind of discredited um, one month administration with those two uh, at the head of the government, mm. it has been a fi- it has been a fiasco. Yeah, it has. It's just been great because what was there was like um, before they announced the uh, whatever it was was it um, well when Jeremy Hunt sort of just said okay you know that fiscal statement that's all been reversed in yeah. the lead up to that there'd been two or three quite major decisions that have been reversed anyway but a few people were like oh my god they wouldn't do the same to IR thirty five and they're like no Surely. no no yeah that's too popular that'll and be then safe. It's like, yeah so yeah but no, it has been a wild couple of weeks um but there is actually um that's as it never is the case uh that isn't the end of our il35 reporting there's still some stuff some stories bubbling away at the minute that i'm working on so thank you rishi it's never going away so (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, keeps keeps you busy. Keeps, keeps me honest, busy. yeah. In the before times, um, in the in the autumn, in the winter, early winter, I would usually go to the United States three times, something like that as well, as European trips and so on. I know, Caroline, you used to go to a couple of big, big US events around about this time of year as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's back like a horrible Halloween nightmare, the return of... Uh, international or transatlantic travel. Um, As I said at the beginning, uh, I've been to the US twice since our last podcast. Um, The first time for Dreamforce, Salesforce's Jamboree, um, which has returned in real life um, in late September in San Francisco, its normal home of San Francisco and much to the delight of a lot of um, people in San Francisco. There's a lot of kind of coverage on the local news about the economic benefits of uh, Dreamforce and things like that. So a lot of people are genuinely pleased to see Dreamforce coming back. Um, uh, just like, you know, people, um, people driving Ubers and, you know, kind of in restaurants and stuff. It just made me quite a bit of, bit of a difference to them. Um, and then most recently, I've just come back from Oracle Cloud World, which was in Las Vegas, which is something I'll comment on in a, in a sec. Um, I'll just give a give a couple of top lines about what I took away from, from those two in terms of content. Um, not too much detail on those. People, listeners can read my stories, which we'll link to in the article that goes with the podcast and so on. So Dreamforce, um, this might interest Claire particularly, uh, they've got a new mascot. Shut up. Yeah, a new mascot. Can you believe that? Um, It's associated with uh, a product or a service called Genie. And what is Genie, I hear you ask? It's a customer data platform. Um, which is supposed to enable Salesforce's customers to to get an all-round view of their customers. Um, and the thing about this that they were announcing that was relatively new uh, is that it's real-time. Okay. Um, and there's various technical reasons for why they're able to serve that up. I mean, basically what they've done is they've taken some functionality that was available in one of their clouds, the marketing clouds, and they've just generalized it to the other clouds mm-hmm. and, and kind of packaged it as a a relatively new thing, given it the name Genie and given it a new mascot. Uh, and, and more about this mascot, Brian. It is. You may expect it to be a Genie, but it is, in fact, a bunny rabbit. I was going to. Ask if it's an animal. Okay, so it's, it's a, a rabbit. rabbit. Yeah. What did they explain? What? Sorry, that would be like any Q and A's in that whole event. But sorry, guys, I just want we need to address the the genie in the room. This I think the idea is genie. <laughs> genie is just the name of the rabbit. So it is a rabbit, and it's got this name genie, and they're getting kind of the benefit of the magical kind of connotations of genie with the cuteness of um. That would be my completely non-Salesforce authorised loss <laughs> yeah. on that. But Mark Benioff and mm-hmm. his co-CEO, uh, Brett Taylor, uh, they were sporting um, bunny ears. Oh, 
in the keynote. <laughs> They're going around wearing these bunny ears. Did um, you get some bunny ears? Were they given them up? No, I've yet to yet to uh, obtain those. Maybe maybe they'll they'll crop up in the in a before Christmas meeting with Salesforce people. Uh, although I do hope not. <laughs> uh, my um so my headline for the keynote was just let me kind of call this back up um, because I was looking at this earlier today and thinking what was I thinking? Uh, Dream Dream Dreamforce twenty twenty two. Benioff and Taylor uncork real-time genie to toast new day, which uh, sounds like a cryptic crossword clue. Um, but I suppose the key thing there is is the real-time. It's real-time. And by new day, uh, there's a couple of things there. One is a lot of their rhetoric was about post-COVID. It's a new day. Things are starting afresh, arguable. Um, uh, so, th so there was that kind of aspect of it. And also uh, Benioff and Taylor actually did a very good um, Q&A session with the press, which is something that they've not really done before. And it was quite good because they were just talking like normal human beings, kind of answering questions and stuff. And one of the things that Benioff said was that in among their customers, they see a lot of activity. So you know, you do read a lot of things about economic doom and gloom, economic turbulence, recession, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, you know, there's a lot of truth in that, but also, you know, at least these they see quite a lot of economic activity around around Salesforce customers and so on. So that's that's what they were referring to when they were referring to a new day. Uh, there was some trash talking at Dreamforce in, in the keynote, which we always love. Uh, Benioff had a swipe at um, SAP, saying that Salesforce is now the biggest enterprise applications company in the world on the basis of one quarter's results. A <laughs> uh, bit of an exaggeration there, Mark. Um, I mean, although the, the Salesforce does does do a lot now, it's not just selling software as a service to people so they can sell more shit faster, which is how. It kind of started off. It's really for sales people and marketing people. It's much more fleshed out now because of acquisitions and, and so on, like the Tableau acquisition, um, that data visualization supplier that they bought, um, and some other things things as well. But it's still not the full kind of enterprise application suite that you would get from an SAP or an Oracle. So a little bit cheeky, but we'll get we'll give them that. Uh, Moving on to Oracle Cloud World, you would expect Larry Ellison to be a big trash talker because he normally has a... Yeah, a he's no got a reputation for it. He beats up AWS pretty consistently year yeah. after year. He didn't do that this time. He had a little gentle sideswipe at AWS, but the kind of technical theme of his keynote was much more about multi-cloud. Uh, they've been working with Azure for a few years now, um, and they're also doing stuff. And this is more technical and 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 kind of collaboration with AWS as well. So that's potentially interesting. Oracle being a bit more um, multi-cloud, a bit more oriented towards other others to collaborate with. But the really really big thing was healthcare. Um, if you look at the 
like in a mainstream business press, say in the UK, the Financial Times, the big thing about Oracle is its acquisition of Cerner, <clears throat> which is a kind of, you know, healthcare IT system. Um, biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest acquisition in, in Oracle's history happened about a year ago. And Larry really majored on that um, a lot. Uh, and he, he painted this vision of how Oracle was going to kind of work with Cerner's technology. Um, and just to be kind of quick about it, he gave this picture of dispersed databases to do with people's health in the US and how the ambition was to have like much more unification of that. So that if, if you come from San Francisco, you have an accident on Montana, you go into a hospital, They'll know who you are, they'll, they'll know your medical history, which they don't at present, you know. Um, and he extended that by saying if you have an accident in London, that um, again, you know, the, the doctors and nurses won't know who you are, won't know your medical history. And the contrast, he said, is with financial information, because we've got these great global systems for, you know, doing doing business financially and everybody knows who you are uh from that point of view so we've we've prioritized shopping over health he said we've prioritized shopping over health which i thought was quite a good thing for him to say especially since it's you know as larry um but yeah that was the big 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 theme was healthcare. uh not that oracle's gonna transform itself into a healthcare company as such, but that's a big sector for them. And then they're, and they're also going to use that industry expertise that they're going to eventually develop through through Cernar uh, into other industry sectors. So there'll be more of an industry, um, you know, more industry focused than they have been before. Which I thought was, yeah, it was quite, quite interesting. A lot of emphasis on working with other people. We can't do this alone. Larry kept saying Oracle can't do this all by itself. He referenced several times in his keynote the work that Oracle had done with University of Oxford to develop a, a global pathogen analysis system. Um, you can find out exactly what that is by reading my story about it. Um, but that's that's built on the Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, OCI. So that was those were those were the kind of the big themes that I took away uh, yeah from 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 that event, um, but yeah, Dreamforce. The highlight was undoubtedly the red hot chili peppers. Oh, nice! I left the Oracle event before the band, so I, I didn't get to see the uh, the Steve Miller band. And no, I'm I didn't. Fairly happy about that. <laughs> uh, but the whole thing of of Oracle moving to Vegas, I. I Maybe I shouldn't overemphasize this, but it does seem uh, remarkable that a kind of Silicon Valley pioneer should move its major annual event from San Francisco to Sin City. Is it not more about the scale of the event? Yeah, just more people, maybe. Could be that. Could also be that, you know, they moved their headquarters to Austin and Texas. So they're they're moving around anyway, mm. um, so that might be part of it. Uh, I think some people probably liked being in Vegas as opposed to San Francisco. 
Um, I ran into one guy in in an elevator who clearly was at the event because he had a he had a um, a lanyard with the badge on it. Mm. Uh, a European guy, and he was really frazzled, really really frazzled and stressed. And uh, I said to him, "Oh, why do we do this to ourselves?" Uh, and he said, "This is awful." Um, and I said, yeah, sympathizing. I said, yeah, probably on, on the whole, I would marginally prefer San Francisco to Las Vegas. And he said 10 times, I'd prefer San Francisco 10 times. Really? Over. And, you know, this is an Oracle customer. Um, I wonder if he'll ever get to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, some people must have loved it being in, be, being at the Venetian as well. Because it's one of the classier, um, one of the classier hotels. Well, if you think of it, um, in that Vegas is kind of custom built for eventing, um, whereas San Francisco you have event spaces, but not necessarily within hotels. So, you know, like in in Vegas, there's the possibility that you will never see the outside. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, I I didn't. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. E- yeah, it's closer. It's a lot easier. Whereas, yeah, you end up traipsing all around San Francisco between, particularly if like if it's. I went to a Google, um, uh, cloud event a couple well a couple of years ago now, and they had like mainly the Moscone Center, but they also had other bits set up in different hotels around San Francisco. And I'm to train oh, yeah. around the streets was just, it's just like such a pain because you have to leave travel time and everything. Whereas in yeah Vegas, it does feel like a bit if everything's under one roof even if it is spread across hotels but they're linked by walkways it does feel a bit slicker and a bit more efficient somehow yeah i personally am the opposite to to the person that you met in the elevator i much prefer vegas than san francisco but you know i hate all these places just because i'm just because of the jet lag it just reminds me of just being exhausted and having that horrible like tummy ache from just drinking too much coffee thinking that would be the way to sort yourself mm-hmm. out so you can yeah. just make your way through everything and just seeing everything in that kind of dry-eyed horrible haze of tiredness it yeah is, yeah that is recommended to drink lots of coffee so i've been looking at you know getting advice on the internet for coping with jet lag and that is one way of doing it or or to try and get a lot of sunshine so be outside oh. that's another way of doing impossible it. in vegas <laughs> yeah Drink but, water. Yeah. I think that's the main, you know, keep hydrated. Keep hydrated, but yeah, coffee does help, you know. Keeps you awake and stuff like that. But yeah, so I mean you've both got a lot of experience of making these transatlantic um these transatlantic trips. Do you think they're worth it? I think it's a it's an open question as to whether it's really worth you know, changing time zones so radically in the space of a week. Um, yeah, you're, never, I, I, you're never at your best. No, I was going to say, from a productivity standpoint, I don't believe they are. And sometimes it's got, you've gone, you've done an extra long commute. I don't know. I, I find them a bit of a, a reset. So I, I find that I'm more productive on these trips um, because no, it's that's different. That's interesting, yeah. Well, it's, um, weird. Yeah. it's weird it's a bit like cramming for an exam like I'm totally focused on yes. that one company while yes. I'm there 
but it's everything that's going on at home in terms of like the office space stuff or other deadlines just gets pushed to the side for a week and then you come back you're jet lagged you've still got little bits hanging over from the event and you just I just feel like I'm constantly playing catch-up once I have these things it just takes so much out of you in terms of actual working time and like recovery time and everything Mm. and also it just you can't just pick up where you left off with a lot of these like particularly long form stuff if you're engrossed in it and you've left it for a week it's like oh god what are you with this again I just yeah (laughs) I'm actually feeling triggered right now yeah I don't enjoy it (laughs) the end and that'll be the same for for a lot of our listeners who also do these trips because their day jobs don't stop and they're they're in back-to-back meetings as well and they're jet jet lagged as well and and things like that I know yeah I remember you you saying that Caroline, it's, it's like cramming for an exam and you get off the plane thinking, ask me anything you like. I can I can give you the answer uh, about AWS or or whatever. Um, or, or maybe it's like, uh, you know, when you're learning a language, it's quite good to actually go to the country. So it's a kind of immersion. Immersion. Well, thing. it's the worst because you actually come back with all the jargon. You've been like sort of. I know. In the, and, that's, I know. and you have to kind of forget it on the flight back. That's You've been brainwashed. Yeah, there's yeah, a kind of exactly. an element of brainwashing involved in in that for sure. I don't know. I think if there's some value to the immersion thing, maybe once every couple of years, but maybe every year. But uh, there's no there's no easy answer, really. There isn't any an easy answer for our listeners either who are beginning to do these trips again. Um. Okay, well, I mean, you can you can read, listen to all the stories we've discussed, all the stuff we've discussed um, in this episode, and, and the article that goes with the podcast, and and obviously listen to the podcast itself on computerweekly.com, um, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, uh, and le- leave us nice reviews if you're so inclined, um, but don't bother otherwise. Uh, good vibes only guys good vibes only sadly i think that's all we've got time for this time around so just remains for me to say on behalf of myself and the listeners thank you very much to caroline you're welcome and thank you so much to claire anytime and thank you to you listener again very much for listening to us and getting all the way to the end oh so till next time bye-bye Bye. Bye.